The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in March 2007. Welcome to Downstage Center, presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. Now we officially say welcome to Amy Irving. Hi, Amy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you were anxious to get started there. Well, I just, you know, <laughs> I was being polite, but too too early. Okay, well, Amy, currently you're starring in Coast of Utopia at Lincoln Center. Uh, the first two parts of it, at least, it's a three-part trilogy by Tom Stoppard. You're in Part 1, Voyage, Part 2, Show. In the past, known on Broadway for many shows, including The Three Sisters, Broken Glass, Heartbreak House, Amadeus, a lot of off-Broadway work as well. We'll get into all of that. But Coast of Utopia, how did that come to be for you? How did you get into that show? Uh, Jack O'Brien and I ran into each other on the street, and he said, let's have dinner. And uh, he started to talk about it. And uh, I had seen Shipwreck Part 2 in London in in 2002 Uh at the National Theatre. And had I remember being um, a puddle on the floor at the end of that show and being very moved by it. And uh, uh, I guess invited me along. It's um, it's Lincoln Center. Um, the last time I was on that stage was in 1965 when I did a walk-on in The Country Wife. Um, I sold Stacy Keach a... A hamster in a crowd scene. <laughs> um, my father was Jules Irving was the artistic director at the time, and it was the second show of his first season. And it just uh, uh, was very um, resonant for me to to come back to Lincoln Center. And I'm actually in the dressing room my mother was in, and really? I'm sharing it with Jennifer Ely, whose mother was in. Streetcar Named Desire for my father at that theater, along with Trish Connolly, who was in our play as well. And my mother was in it, and my stepfather, Robert Simons, was in it. So, I mean, it's just um, Lincoln Center was my playground as a teenager. Kind of so. like, like old home week for you now. Yeah, yeah. We should mention your mother's Priscilla Pointer, Priscilla Pointer the, the actress. The right. wonderful actress, Priscilla Pointer. It's interesting that you mentioned that you had seen part two in London. And certainly there are people who talk a lot about the scale of of Coast of Utopia and how much do you need to know before you go in and do you have to see all three parts what was your reaction just seeing that segment in London uh, you don't need to see part one or part three you can see shipwreck part two without seeing the others and it is a play unto itself I personally and many of the cast members we feel that one and three are part of a trilogy. Shipwreck is the one that really kind of stands on its own. I think that's the one that if you're only going to see one, that's what you should see. And having only seen the second part, the experience of then becoming extremely familiar with the rest of the show, how did how did your perception of the work change as you as you came to understand the totality of it? Well, I mean, of course, it resonated in so many different levels once I came to know um, what Voyage Part 1 had, what happened before and where these people came from. There are a lot of uh, uh, different characters in the second play in Shipwreck, too, so um, there are about four or five that carry over through the through the entire piece. But, um, you know, I think seeing all three is, of course, the best way to do it. I'm just saying that people have said... You can see one, two, or three separate. I personally think only two stands on its own. And you've got the 
interesting opportunity because you are not in the third part of actually being able to watch a show that you're in. I know that was really creepy actually. <laughs> <laughs> I went I went to see it and uh to see my cast and see, you know, the the opening is the same as the opening of act 1 and part 1 and part 2 and and to not be there and applaud them at the end it just it felt like an outer body experience. Um but it was it is pretty great to be able to see the play you're in. Um I actually got to see a, a large part of part two as well because I don't have a huge part in it. I have a wonderful role in it, but it's not a huge role. So I was able to watch Act One in the audience at uh, during a, a final dress rehearsal. We should explain for our radio audience that it's a, a trilogy written by Stoppard, which is basically, as you said, three separate shows, which are presented on weeknights as separate shows, but then on a Saturday, all three are presented one after another, starting, I think, what, 11 o'clock in the morning till about 11 at yes, night. Yes, our marathons. Yeah, <laughs> taking uh, time out for lunch and dinner. Mm-hmm, yeah, part one starts at 11, part two at 3.30, and the last part at 8 o'clock. It's quite a... It, we had our first marathon last Saturday, and... Um, it was one of the most exhilarating experiences of all of our lives. I mean, it was like an event, and the audience felt like they felt like they were at an event, and the reception at the end was extraordinary, and I think, uh, I think we all had a great day. <laughs> What's interesting is, of course, many Broadway performers do two shows in a day, a Saturday or a Wednesday, typically with a matinee and evening performance. Here you're doing two different shows and a third show as well, so it must be a little bit different. In other words, you have to get into a different mindset from... Episode one to episode two, I would guess. It keeps us on our toes. Uh-huh. It definitely keeps us on our toes, and it keeps the work interesting. And, um, uh, you know, you, I, I did show up for um, Voyage once, and it was shipwreck, um, actually the other way around. And I, I need to get to the theater earlier for part one because I'm at the top of the show, and I arrived at half hour and for part one, and I, I saw all the costumes were... Um, for the wrong show, I thought the I thought the wardrobe people had just mixed it up, but it was me that mixed it up and I had to get ready very quickly. But uh, it's 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 more in, it's very interesting to be able to um, play different characters. I mean, in part one, um, I'm I'm the mother, and then I'm the contemporary to one of my daughters in the next show. So I mean, I get to change age, I get to change character totally, completely. I mean, I go from from a very strict. Um, uh, woman running a household and taking care of the serfs and making sure her daughters get married off to uh, a very bohemian um, loose woman who poses naked for her for her man living openly married to another character. It's fun. Well, this is one of those questions like you have two kids, which one do you like better type questions. You have two different characters that are very different. Do you have a preference for one over the other? Well, um, I I have uh, more, uh, even though uh, I have less stage time, there's more meat in the role in the second uh, as Maria, and I'm much more fond of Maria. Although, I mean, that's the role I signed on for. And when Jack talked to me, he says, remember the scene with the bidet? I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, And I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with the first play. I mean, I was doing The Mother, and she's there's not that much on the page, so I kind of had to create a character without scenes, you know, and she kind of comes in and out all the time, but uh, it became such a challenge that I actually feel really proud of the of, of getting there, you know. It wasn't something I could, I knew how to do. This Maria, I kind of knew what I was going to do with her. Um, the second, first one, I was a little lost, and I asked for a lot of help, and I got it, and did a lot of reading and research, and and found my way eventually. And so that journey was became really thrilling for me. 
I love, I love, I love, you know, I'm not often in a situation, you don't often take a role that you don't know how to do. Usually when you say yes, it's because you know what you're going to do or you know how to do it. I said yes to part two, and then I had to figure out part one. But you, you didn't know you were doing, doing part one when you signed up? No, I knew, I knew, but the reason I said yes was because of part two. Uh-huh. I was My passion was for that role. I see. And then it was like, and I'll figure out the other one. And then when I got to it, it was like, oh, I don't have any clue how to be how to play this role. And luckily, I had Jack O'Brien and Tom Stoppard guiding me along, and I found my way. Since you already spoke of your experience at the Beaumont, you know, with with your parents, that was the repertory company of Lincoln Center. Is being in this show like being part of a rep company? As it a- is being a part of a rep company. I mean, it's absolutely. There are three plays going on. There's forty some odd members of the cast. People are playing there. You know, some some of us are three different roles during during the week, and so you know, it's like switching plays. Even though it is part of the same play, it's people are playing different characters, and and you go from. Russia to Paris in the second play to London in the third play. I mean, you're just you're you're moving around. It it is it, it's one play and yet you could separate them and and say I'm I'm uh, I'm in rep. And when you signed on for this, obviously we've spoken about the roles already, but you're signing on certainly for a run of considerable length, but it's it's a you're taking on a bigger challenge because you had to retur- rehearse two shows and you were performing one and working on the second. How how does it feel to be in a company like this and in a play like this as opposed to just one play, two and a half hours, and well, you've done your show? It's definitely not run-of-the-mill. We all know we're experiencing something unique, and we're all thrilled to be a part of it, and we all feel privileged to be a part of it, and we're all... Um, very respectful of each other. Jack has put together an amazing cast. I mean, the other day when... Um, when 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 somebody gets ill and and the understudies go on, the understudies are all members of the company that are play other parts. So there's a shift where suddenly one person stepping in for someone, and then the, then there's three other people that have to switch gears. And everybody does it with such ease, and they're just so amazing. We were in the the first run through of Voyage. Um, one of the actors couldn't be there, and um, he has a huge part. And the understudy stepped in and. We were all scared to death to ever miss a perform miss a rehearsal because our understudy was going to show us up <laughs> because this understudy just blew us all away and we were all in tears at the end of end of his work. It must be quite uh, quite a challenge taking on two shows or even three uh, simultaneously. What 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 what's the, the main challenge? Is remembering the lines? From, no, from no. Everyone always thinks remembering lines. I mean, maybe for Brian O'Byrne because <laughs> he's got a lot of lines, uh-huh. but uh, no. Um, it's it's like doing two different plays at the same. If you're playing different characters, you are approaching it as two different plays because you've got two completely different characters. Um, uh, there was a at first, you know the the when you're when you open a play and you get that sense of okay now I'm going to start playing it, and then you immediately start rehearsals for something else. You don't have that same continuity of of of, of experiencing just the one play and getting it under your skin and feeling feeling the rhythms and and getting comfortable. You're always a little nervous. I mean I'm I, I we didn't do Voyage Part One for three weeks when we were getting shipwrecked through its tech and its first previews. You go back to a play having not done it for three weeks. You got the same nerves you have on the first preview. I mean. I don't know. I, I happen to get. I need that first, that first audience under my belt before I stop shaking. Mm-hmm. 
and three weeks later, there I am shaking again, <laughs> you know. Well, you know, you always hear actors talk about, you know, if you saw the show early in the run, they'll say, oh, oh, it's, there's so much more now. So, so where do you think it is in terms of has it grown, has it changed as you've well, gone on with it? Voyage Part 1 has completely changed because when you go into rehearsal for the second play and the third play, people are playing the same character. Their their role, they, they get informed. And then you go back to Part 1 and your character is that much more realized because you've aged and you've gone through life and you come back and there more pennies have dropped since then. And uh, also just the camaraderie and the, and the relaxation and the trust that you find with these actors, especially when you go into two and three plays with them. You know, you just, you, it frees it up. And um, I think uh, uh, Voyage changed a lot since the very beginning. But I think every play changes a lot. I mean, you you know, hopefully for the better. Um, uh, it's uh, the excitement that we all feel when we get back to it, having not been there for a few days, keeps the energy level up. And um, and you do start noticing different things and you and and you you're you're you color the performance and it just becomes richer and richer hmm. have you done any stoppered plays before no this is your me. first time my first two how, how do you find his work <laughs> is it a challenge to you um i f- i find i'm mean, it's just pure joy i'm a, i've been a huge fan for uh-huh. a long time so i don't really find uh you know I'm, I'm i'm a classically trained actress i can handle language very easily um and having him there Every step of the way has just been a dream. I mean, it's been a master class. He just sits there and just tells, spoon feeds us this world and where his ideas come from. And, and, and he's just right there for you about every single moment. I mean, if you're having trouble making sense of something or, or, um, uh, I had, uh, there had been a cut from the from the British production to here in, in part two that d- didn't make sense to me. And I said, you know, this helps clear it up. We'll put it back in, darling. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> he's just, you know, he's there to make you, he loves actors and he's very happy with his production. So it's wonderful to please him. I got to tell you, making Tom Stoppard happy makes you feel really good. Well, you said a moment ago you weren't familiar with part one voyage and the character that you play in that uh, you weren't familiar with either. You had to find her. Did you ask Stoppard what to do intend with her? Um I first went to Jack O'Brien, uh, Jack O'Brien the, uh, who's, director. yeah, who's just the most brilliant director on earth, uh-huh. and um, it's interesting. He would like drop little ideas in, you know. Like I said, I hadn't played below my intelligence, and it's just it's a hard thing to do. And he said, you know, I remember when, um, oh God, was it Celia Johnson? It was in a play in London. I don't remember what play it was. And he said she was playing beneath her intelligence, and and she would come on stage and she would look at everybody, even like her own children and her husband, like she wasn't quite recognizing them. So for an exercise, I would do that for a while, and then I'd drop it because it wasn't necessarily part of what I wanted to do, but it kind of dropped seeds of of distancing yourself from clarity. And uh, then he would come up with, then he would say, you know, marrying these girls off is the most important thing, the most important thing. So I'd be very driven and very clear about that's what I needed to do. So I may not necessarily hear the rest of the conversation because I'm making sure 
that Baron Wren is paying attention to my daughter and that, you know, everything's going fine. So you start to learn that, you know, and then I would read a lot and I would read about these women whose lives were actually fairly joyless as they as their job was to make sure that the serfs were kept in line and 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 the household was 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 kept together and these daughters are married off and then jack said to me one day you have a really good marriage and that just colored everything. It changed everything. So I was like, oh, so I can enjoy. So, I mean, it, suddenly I was bouncing things off with Richard Easton. And it was like, oh, you know, I lost some of the dourness. And yet there's some of that there. And, you know, I mean, this, it just, uh, uh, he just guides you along. And he helped me find her. And uh, just what he just would keep throwing out notes and, and, and help me get there. Well, doing this show would seem to be, in some ways, a 180-degree turn from the show you did off-Broadway last year, mm-hmm. Safe Harbor for Elizabeth Bishop, where it was all you all the time. Yeah, a one-woman show. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to warn my kids when they came, I'm not the star of this one. Because <laughs> they were used to, between this and the play I did before, Celadine, which was written for me by Charles Everett that I did at the George Street Playhouse, it was all around me. So I just didn't want them to get perplexed that mom's not on stage all the time. But the experience of doing a one-person show you, you were talking about how you developed the character and how Jack took you through in the context of all these other people. Is it a different process when you're in, when you're in a show by yourself? Oh yes, oh yes. It's um, well, it, I've only done one one person show, and it happened to be uh, a, a, you know Elizabeth Bishop was a real person, so I was able to read two thousand pages of her letters and you know her life and her story and um, those seeds went in all by themselves, you know. I mean, it's like uh, I couldn't deviate from who she was. I only wanted to be who she was, and uh, um, that informed uh, my acting and my character in a way that I've never had such food for a character before. I mean, I just uh, I felt like um, I got great help from Richard J. Alexander, my, my director, but uh, who created a beautiful physical production around me. Um, but I kind of felt like I, I, I almost morphed into her. <laughs> I mean, I got so much that I would just kind of, uh, I just felt her inside of me. But the backstage dynamic has to be so Lonely. different now because, you know, <laughs> nobody else was bringing you cookies probably unless you made them for yourself, whereas well, some night, you know, somebody brings in. Yeah. How does, how does it feel when you're doing The cast party on a one-woman show is very lonely. <laughs> Um, you know, there's, uh, uh, I mean, I'm on the stage with some of the best actors around, so the trust level is extraordinary. Sometimes you can get in a play and you're not, you're not, you don't necessarily have that. And um, doing a one-person show, you don't have to worry about the other actor <laughs> um, <laughs> not supporting you or, or not not being at your level or, or not being there or not focused or whatever. Um, I actually played opposite a woman that I was in love with, and I saw her. So, I mean, I, but I got to create her, and she did whatever I wanted her to do. Mm. So there was a, there was a certain um, uh, uh, richness to that. But to be quite honest, I'm having more fun now. Mm. Let's jump back to those early Lincoln Center days when when your folks were putting you on stage. Did did you want to be on stage from the beginning, or was it, as I read somewhere, they just didn't want to pay for a babysitter? Well, 
uh, way back, like uh, in the 50s, when my dad and and Robert Simons, my now stepdad, and my mom started the San Francisco Actors Workshop, um, all three of us kids were very young, David, Katie, and I, and we were either in the shows, the children's theater plays, um, or we were... um, put backstage um, in the wardrobe department to fall asleep, or second row center, where his mom was doing Kate and Tammy the shoe out of the corner of her eye during the second act. She could see all three of us were fast asleep, and she knew we were all fine. I don't think every bit of money went back into the theater. That was very important to Dad. But also, Mom didn't want theater to take her away from her children, and she felt like theater was the family's religion, and we just grew up in the theater. So when did you decide that you wanted to pursue acting for yourself? I was two and a half. Oh, God. (laughs) I was in The Magic Butterfly playing Princess Primrose. The best I could do was my line was, my name is Princess Primrose. I could say my name was Princey Rosie. Um, I was the I was the b- princess that the wicked Wallabaloos turned into the butterfly, and I would say at that age, I'm going to do like mom. I'm going to go to drama school and I'm going to be an actress. Hmm. So you knew very early on. I knew very early on during the '60s when we were supposed to rebel against our uh-huh. parents. I I went more into music and I was playing violin. Um, very rebellious. Of very you. rebellious of me, but uh, I got over that pretty quickly. I, <laughs> and I was going to professional children's school by the time I was a junior and doing off off Broadway work. What? Because it's it's hard sometimes to find the credits from those early years. What what kind of work were you doing off Broadway when you when you started? This was out? off off. My first show was, uh, during high school was off off Broadway. It was called And Chocolate on Her Chin. It was a little, I don't remember the name of the theater, but uh, I remember I got raped by my uncle. That's all I remember. <laughs> but uh, then I went off to drama school for four years. I did a year at, at ACT and then three years at London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art. Um, during that time, Ellis Rabb wanted me to come back and do Enemies at Lincoln Center, but my dad would not let him offer it to me because he wanted me to get my training. And if I, he offered it to me, I would have come left school. Hmm. I learned this after school, and... Uh, I was a little upset about it, but I was pleased to be asked, and yet I did enjoy my three years at, in London d- at drama school. Hmm. But now in hindsight, are you glad that the experience happened the way it did? Yeah. That you stayed yeah. in school? Yeah. 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 I learned a lot there. Uh, I think I think drama school is a, a, an opportunity to really kind of find out what kind of actor you are and where your strong points are and work on some of your weak points and give up on things that you just can't do, <laughs> you know, and uh, it just it just really gets your instrument ready for whatever's coming at you. And because I was in London playing a lot of British characters, I came back and immediately I was, I was well, I did Romeo and Juliet at... Um, at the Free Shakespeare Theater to begin with, and I started doing some television stuff. But uh, my first my first role on Broadway was uh, was doing um, Constanza Weber in, in Amadeus, and then you know I did Heartbreak House, and I was working with all British actors and um, or British roles, and uh, it uh, it definitely prepared me. Well, being born in California, being raised in this country, now you're studying in London. You had obviously been doing a lot of theater before you went to study in London, both as a child and as an adolescent, as a teenager. How how did you find that experience in London, working with the British, working with people from a a different country? Well, um, uh, I had a great time with them. It was a different method, you know. I mean, it was all very—I was taught a very technical way to find the characters. And as an American, I'm I'm very in touch with my— my my emotions and it was interesting. I went my first improvisation class. Um, my roommate Linda, uh, her 
mother had just died, but she hadn't told anybody. And we were doing one of these improv classes where you, where you, you, one person puts two people into a, a statue, and then you bring the statues alive and make an improvisation about depending whatever position you're in. And somebody put Linda over a dead body. Mm-hmm. And she just started to cry and cry and cry. And I went to the director and I said, just be aware, her mother just died. We should be there for her after. And the improv was over and she came back and she didn't have a tear on her face. And I said, Linda, so I was worried because, you know, of your mom. And she goes, oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> and I mean, what American actor wouldn't go right there? You know? right. So it was a different it was a different approach. And because I had done some training in the United States and I'd acted before, um, uh, it, it, I was a kind of able to mesh the two hmm. styles. Well, you mentioned your first two Broadway shows so quickly, certainly to make your Broadway debut with Ian McKellen is significant and perhaps daunting, but but your second show, <laughs> you were playing opposite Rex Harrison. What a thrill. What a thrill. And, you know, people were warning me that he was really hard to work with and that was going to be difficult for me. We got along really, really well. <laughs> I mean, we used to... If he took a nap during the Wednesday afternoon after the matinee he would have a hard time with his lines at night so I started taking him for a walk outside to get some fresh air between shows and we we end up having a very nice relationship. Well, certainly the relationship you were playing Ellie Dunn and he mm-hmm. was playing Shot Over in Heartbreak House there is ultimately a somewhat of a May-December romance which can be more or less emphasized depending well, on the production. Well, I don't know how much I'm supposed to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh I'm not asking. <laughs> but, but No, but he definitely, he was actually, he was he was such a rascal. I mean, you know, we'd be on the, we'd be in Act 3 and we'd be sitting on a bench together and uh, everybody would be saying their little speeches and his leg would start rubbing against my leg and he'd start, he'd start playing with me all the time. We had a great time together. So it's kind of like method acting. I don't know if that's the word I was thinking. But. And also in the production, I think you mentioned before, was Rosemary Harris, who of course had been part of the company yeah. of your dad's. What was the experience of as an adult playing as an equal with someone who obviously knew you when you were very young? Yeah, no, we became very close friends. I mean, Rosie's still one of my great friends, and now it's now it's funny because I'm I'm sharing a dressing room with her daughter, so it's like we we're, we're all kind of a little little off generation. I mean, mom, mom, uh, I think Rosie's a little younger than mom, and Jennifer's younger than I am, so we're just like about there's like this ten year gap thing, but I think we're just keep passing it on through the families. But it's been it's been it feels like right now it's like history for. I mean, Jack O'Brien had said to us. I really wanted to bring you two girls into Lincoln Center because of your 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 mom's and your dad's mm. experience here. Well, you've worked with some of these other people and some of their children as well. But you've also worked with your own parents. You've starred in several shows with your mother. What kind of experience was that for you? You know, so much so much about acting uh, opposite someone is trust. Uh-huh. And, I mean, to do Glass Menagerie with my mom, who's, I mean, I admire her so much. I mean, I've spent my whole life watching her on the stage or falling asleep watching her on the stage, depending <laughs> on how old I was. But I think she's just, I mean, I've learned so much from her and um, uh, uh, more so than any of my training. I think watching her has been my training. And then to finally be on stage with her, and she just she just lights up a stage with her truth, and uh, 
and because of the trust involved, we we just could we could just fly without a net. Together. Well, you were able to draw from her professionally. How about mother-child relationship? Were you able to draw from that your, your personal relationship with her as well? Always, always. We played mother and daughter many times, but but it's interesting. Sometimes it's harder when it's your real mother because I mean, um, like in the case of Gla- Glass Menagerie, she's such a different mother than my real mother uh-huh. was that you kind of have to negate that. You have to like start from scratch and kind of you know pretend all the other stuff isn't there because she and I have a very close loving relationship and my mom's totally sane <laughs> so <laughs> the 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 mother uh, her her work uh, our relationship in glass menagerie didn't really have anything to do with our relationship in real life thank goodness mm-hmm. off broadway you appeared in the road to mecca the uh, afo fugard play and in which he played the the male role in the show. What is it like to be in a show with the person who wrote the show, let alone someone as extraordinary a writer as as Athel Fugard? And he directed it. Oh, I didn't remember that. Yeah, he directed it as well. That was just an... I mean, I've been so blessed with moment uh, experiences. I mean, between... I mean, Athol had done the play in London with Yvonne Bryceland, who he wrote the play for. So I, it's a three-character play, so I was the only newcomer when it came to the Promenade Theater. Um, so I was spoon-fed the play. I mean, he took me through South African history. He took me through this woman in, in New Bethesda. He ex- He gave me everything about this character. It was, again, it was another master class. It was just, you know, I was just being fed and fed and fed and seeds being dropped in. And and then we would start doing the play and um, I would go to my bowels to find the pain that he wanted me to find. And then he'd crack the whip and he'd say, I want more. Mm-hmm. He took me places. He made, he he didn't he didn't settle for anything I had to offer. He just kept drawing more and more out of me, and I'm very proud of what he brought out. Mm. And it was a magical experience. And years later, my mother and Bob Simons did the play at the Fountain Theater in London, a, a production that Ethel Fugard loved. They mm. wanted me to come out and do it, but I was living in New York then. I'm a mother of two boys. I, I couldn't go back to L.A. to do theater. But when I watched them, when I watched my mother play that part, I mean, at the end of the play, she lights all the candles on the stage. I swear she didn't need a match. <laughs> she was that amazing. It's interesting to hear you talk now, years later, about that experience, how he was pushing you and pushing you to deliver more and more, and talking in very fond and glowing terms of it. How about at the time it was happening? Oh, did did, did I you love realize that. what he was doing? Yeah. Oh, you did. Oh, I don't want anybody to settle for what I come in with. I mean, the most uh-huh. thrilling part of, of of being on the stage is the rehearsal period where where you come in with what you've got to offer. The dire- director comes in with what he's got to offer, and, and you give birth to something neither of you could have thought of on your own. Well, staying on the theme of great authors, you also originated a role in the world premiere of Broken Glass, Arthur Miller's play. What what was the experience of working with Arthur Miller? See, I told you I was blessed. I've had these yeah, amazing... Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. I've had these amazing experiences. I mean, sometimes I'm frustrated because I've wanted to work more than I have, um, but then when I look at what the opportunities I've had, I mean, I, I, I remember I've had a really rich experience. Um, Arthur... Um, Arthur was my father's favorite playwright. Um, my dad's production of The Crucible is something I'll never forget, and... Um, 
he was very important in our household. I mean, as a playwright. And Had your father actually collaborated with him on the production, or he no, just no, he, he just, just admired him and directed? He admired the work. him and directed him, and I'm sure they had met at some point. I don't know. Um, but uh, when I was asked to originate this role, um, <laughs> he it was interesting. When I went to I, I auditioned for the part, and I and I read a few scenes, and he 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 looked up at me after, and he says. How do you know this woman so well? Mm. <laughs> and I just felt, wow, to have him tell me that right there. It just was an amazing experience. He rewrote it and rewrote it up at Long Wharf. Um, the ending wasn't working. And, you know, he would, like, give me these rewrites be- right before the show. And I'd put them in. He goes, I can't believe you did it tonight. And I was like, I wanted to help. I wanted it to work. And the the the, the experience of being with Arthur, watching him realize his play, the snows would would fall, and we'd all be out in the parking lot scraping the the ice off of our windshield so we can all drive home. You know, scraping my my car next to Arthur Miller. It just was too much. He kept <laughs> in a parking lot in, in a Haven. parking lot. I mean, it was a dream come true. I mean, he kept complaining that I would wear these big clunky boots all the time. I said, "There's snow out there, Arthur." And then when uh, when I presented a, a Tony when when he was nominated, um, uh, I wore these really nice. Joan Crawford fuck me pumps and he was so happy <laughs> he was like finally you've got some decent shoes on that was his biggest complaint about me <laughs> well, working with Arthur Miller and working currently in Costa Utopia with Stoppard two you know, living playwrights you were in uh, another show Three Sisters by Chekhov you weren't able to work with him so unfortunately a very different sort of experience I would think for you yeah it was I mean I've actually um, done Three Sisters three times and now I've played all three sisters so Unless I want to play the maid when I'm old, I think I've, I've done three sisters. I did. I worked with Nico Sakharopoulos and played Masha um, up at Williamstown. That was the first time I ever did that play, which was there's a director. There's another landmark experience. This is a man who you know check off. Usually, you know, you need to because it's you know so much about behavior, and you need to peel that onion and take the time to understand what's going on and the relationships between the characters. And at Williamstown, you have three weeks to get a play on the ground off the ground but Nikos knows how to just kind of physically put you in a situation and you get exactly where you're supposed to be he was magic absolutely magic did you raise something interesting you know you talked earlier about the fact that you'd seen part two of Coast of Utopia you knew the role that you were going to play it must be very interesting with with these successive production of Three Sisters you're in the show you see what the other actresses are doing with the with the other roles then you go in, admittedly in another production, and play one of those roles. And then you go in. Do you did you take from the other women that you'd worked with as you successively go through it? No, you forget everything they've ever done, and you start start. I mean, I I have never been able to work from the outside in. I mean, some people they have to figure out what they're wearing first, or when the when the wig goes on, they understand their character or what what they have in their wallet or whatever. I'm someone who everything has to come from inside first. And I don't even necessarily notice what's happening on the outside. As a matter of fact, uh, a friend of mine came to see me in a one-act by Leslie Lyles um, uh, at the one-act marathon that happens at... uh, um, EST? EST. And he said something... I was playing a a girl from, from New Jersey, and he said... 
I love what you're doing with your leg because you know it just shows your 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 discomfort and then where this girl comes from. I was like, I didn't even know I was doing anything with my leg. And I've always heard that you never want to be told something so specific because then you can no, you, you, you obsess then, then about I, then it. I, well, then I'm then I notice it. It's like you know if something's coming from inside. I mean, I'm not like I'm not like you know I'm not uh, so you don't have to be that careful with me. I'm not like fragile or anything. I'm a pretty tough actress, but I don't want to be thinking about that. You know, I. I want I want to be thinking about what the character's thinking about and not notice that and if something happens physically great but I mean I don't want to think about it till I don't want to know about it till later and it's more like something happening naturally coming out of yeah, you the character yeah, as opposed yeah. to planning I'm going to yeah, I'm going yeah, to. I'm going to characterize this girl by having her having her leg goes her her foot sort of cave in. But I can't work that way, you know. It just things happen, and it's fun when they do. It's great because uh, when some after the fact, when someone says, you know, did you know this character? You know, the the physicality of this character that, as opposed to this one. Obviously, in Utopia, the physicality is very different from one character to the next, and I know that, and I'm not pretending that I don't know that. But I don't necessarily put some on the character from the outside. Well, you talk about coming from within, from within you, finding the character inside yeah, you. it's always about planting how, the seeds. How, how do you find the characters? Is it what's written on the page, or is it some other process? It starts with instinct, you uh-huh. know, um, especially with the great playwrights. They write their characters so that you understand them really well. It's like, it's like I, I'm not a comedic actress, but if you give me an old coward play, he know, he, you know, and pay attention to how he wrote it, you can get your laughs, you know? I can't make something funny with shtick that's not funny. Um, it's about learning to read the language and trusting it, and then research. I always do research, and if there's, there's not research on the actual living character, you find, you make sure you know that that era, the time you're in, w- the world you're in. You just learn as much about it as you can. But my first instinct is usually um, uh, what I go on. We've talked about all of these authors you've worked with, and you mentioned much earlier in the interview a show that you did at the George Street Playhouse, which you said was written for you. Mm-hmm. So how did it come to be written for you? And were you involved in the process of what it was to become from the beginning? Yeah, Charles Everett um, had written a 10-minute play um, after 9-11, a year after the playwrights and actors and directors of New York City came together and did this three-night um, uh, uh uh, exploration of of where people were and what their ideas were and their just the emotional impact of nine eleven in various ways, and Charles Everett wrote uh, a wonderful play that was the only one that was repeated all three nights. It was that good, and I did it um, with Sam Waterston and Leif Schreiber, and uh, after it, uh, the playwright asked me if he could write a play for me. And uh, he had just written two in a series um, about spies that he wanted to go back um, to Charles II and and do kind of a, a play dealing with a, re- a playwright during the Restoration period, a female playwright. And I said, okay. And then he wrote it, and then we started to have readings, and, and he helped me. He let me contribute. He let me contribute ideas, and then um, we put it on its feet at the George Street Playhouse. When you read it for the first time, did you... Did you sense why he'd written that character for you, or did you look at it and say, why do you see me in this? In the most, I don't want to, I mean, I could see why he wrote it. I didn't know, I didn't know um, that he could get aspects of me so well. 
and other aspects that were fun to play. Um, um, and it was a it was a very flattering thing that he wrote this woman for me because she was a woman that was um, very brilliant, very witty, very beautiful, very sexual. I mean, it was like uh, all the things that were I wanted to play that day. Hmm. When you say aspects of you, are you talking about your own personality? Was he seeing you? As you, Amy Irving, or was he seeing you portraying the character? I don't think he knew character? me that well. I just uh. think he figured he he saw certain things that he could draw out of me. Uh huh. Hmm. Of all the things you learned from your parents, because you know people go into their parents' business, so to speak, whether it's you know a, a butcher, a baker, candlestick maker, whatever the, the the occupation is, what what were the most important lessons you got from your father, who was a producer, director, or from your mother, an actress? Um. I learned uh, very much um, the values, um, why I'm in this business, which has nothing to do with fame or fortune. It's about finding the truth of the material. Um, It always was about the creativity. Truth was the most important word in our household. Um, The last thing my dad saw me do was... um, a rough cut of a film called Voices, and uh, he died early. He was 54, and he had had his first heart attack, and he was... My mom brought him the day, uh, the rough cut to see, and um, he said, tell Amy she was very true. And I didn't know this. I, I thought, what, he didn't like me? That was it? And Mom says, that's the highest compliment he pays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, you know, finding the truth of the character and keeping keeping honest... And, and and keeping my values. So when you look for a play to be in, do you look for truth in the character in the play? Or do you look for other things as well? Well, I think when, when I talk about the truth, it's just about what my job is uh-huh. in creating the character is to find the truth of that character. I see. What character do you think you're going to be finding next? You're in Coast Utopia through the middle of May. Then Then what? You know what? I don't know. I mean, we've we've extended now, and so we didn't really know when we were going to actually finish. And having been tied up in a play for eight months, uh, I wouldn't mind going away. <laughs> <laughs> a little vacation. <laughs> but I also have a I have a son who's about ready to start looking at colleges. Uh-huh. So that's that's the next thing on my plate. Well, you've certainly certainly done film work in the past, many films. Uh, now you're on Broadway. Would you want to stay in theater or go back to film? I'm or? always happiest on the stage. You know, uh-huh. if if a nice film role came along that didn't take me away from home, you know, and it, working with good people, of course I'd go. I, I mean, I like to be busy. I like to work. I like to be stimulated. But if it could always be on the stage, that's my preference. But meanwhile, you're getting those travel brochures together for vacation after Coastal Utopia. I would, yeah, I would like to do that. I would like to go away with my with my bow. Well, on that note, Amy Irving, thanks so much for being with us today on Downstage Center. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Amy. For the American Theater Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theater Wing is available online, on demand, for free, from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John von Susten for Downstage Center. That is a wrap, and thank you. The American Theatre Wing encourages all of our podcast fans to share our programs with friends and colleagues, but we remind you that any commercial distribution, commercial use of our programs, or program modification is prohibited without our express permission. We appreciate your cooperation and invite you to contact us with any questions. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcasts of Downstage Center, 
Help us in our efforts to share the best in theater with listeners everywhere by writing a review for iTunes or for your favorite podcast directory. Thanks so much.